0: Bible to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, we're in the middle of a genealogy here, and this portion of Genesis explains, really, chapter 10. So we get chapter 10, and then we get the reason, chapter 11, these first nine verses. This is a very common story. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've ever gone to Sunday school or vacation Bible school as a child, you will have studied this story Multiple times, it's the Tower of Babel. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. The tower is man's attempt to reach up to the gods. It's man's attempts at false worship. It's a short time after Noah in uh, the, the ark land, maybe a 100 years later, just a short 100 years, and man is so corrupt. They're speaking one language and God does something about it here, the story is uh, Tower of Babel. Again, this book, Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings. This is the origins book. This is the book, the first, these first 11 chapters and we're gonna get to the end of this section and we'll be able to move a little quicker because we get to Abraham next week. This whole book is is giving us the origins of everything in the world. And when we get through this last section, the Tower of Babel, that gives us genealogy to this man, Abraham, because it's through Abraham and the covenant to Abraham that we have the story of redemption. The story of redemption begins with the man, Abraham, and the, these Jewish people that God chooses out of all of the rest of the world, all the different nations and tribes and peoples, God chooses one nation, And it's his plan to use one nation, this man, Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Remember that song? You don't remember that song? Okay, well, I I led worship for the kids 25, 30 years ago at the YMCA in the shower. We used to have, the children's ministry was in the shower in the morning, I would lead worship, all the combined, and then the classes would go into the different uh, classrooms. That was 1979, 1980, 1981, we were doing that until we moved over here into the barn. So, I, I was much thinner and no gray hair at that time. And, a beautiful, and it, was, it was a neat time, neat time. But anyway, there's, that's where we're at this, morning, or this evening. We're at Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel, uh, and the study of first things. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, as we turn now to your word, we do believe, Lord, that more than story and genealogy and history, you have a plan. There's application for us here tonight. I pray that you would help us to see it, that we would not only see the history, Lord, but see ourselves uh, in this story as well. Help us, Lord, to discern. Help me, Lord, to focus on your word and not my own little things. I I just pray your word would emerge and your people would grow as a result of the study of your word. Teach us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit and Jesus. Amen. Okay, again, the list of first things that we've looked at over and over, the universe, the stars, the plant life, biology, everything, the list of first things, this is what this book is about, origins. And so as we come to this portion, these nine verses, we're gonna look at nine verses in chapter 11 tonight, we're gonna get the origins again of languages and nations. That's what this story is about. The origins, how, where did they come from? How did they begin? God gives us all of these things. Now we have, we have classes and, and doctors of sociology. They study stuff, they theorize. I'm gonna share a little bit about that as well. But we get from our, body, our Bibles this origin of, of everything, universe, time, uh, space, people, plants, animals, everything. And here we get, because God is the originator, God is the originator of everything, we get the, the different languages and how they originated. And like all of Genesis here, this book goes against common theory, and, and not just thought, but theory. Common theory in terms of evolution. This book just keeps hammering away. As If you'll just... Just receive God's word by faith. If you'll read it, God will speak to you, and you'll have answers for your own questions because, again, the book of Genesis goes against the current worldview of evolution. Evolutionists believe in a random bang, just a random big bang that created the universe. They believe in the long, drawn-out, time it's all about time in this long drawn out process of evolution in plant and animal life that people that you and I evolved over millions and millions and some say 50 some say 20 some say say 100 depends on who you talk to that doesn't matter once you get past a few thousand years you know you're into to unknown it's all theory but millions and millions that we evolved millions of years, very slowly, and that evolutionists believe that we came from a a, a real, um, uh, what's the word here, Uh, a, a life, a single cell life that slowly developed over many, many years into an animal, maybe it was a fish that grew legs that walked and became, you know, air breathing, and then finally a monkey to a man, that's really what they teach, and it took Over a long period of time, very slowly things evolve. That's what they say, that's what they believe. And not only that, but sociologists. They believe when you look at this study, and, and if you've taken sociology in high school or if you've taken in a college, college level sociology course will be filled with this. That language evolved, like everything else, it evolved slowly over a long period, society. Slowly, over a long period of time, that's evolution, and that's what's being taught, even in sociology. Essentially, evolutionists believe in that slow process in everything. It doesn't matter what it is, they'll always point to that, and it's always that in everything. But the Bible teaches the evolution of nothing. Did you hear what I just said? The Bible teaches in the evolution of nothing. Well, what about Hugh Ross, and what about the Christians that that have these other, I've read them, and, and if you've read them, good. I think you should read other opinions. I'm not a theistic evolutionist. I do not believe that that there are the gap theory in these different periods of time in the Bible, and how do you know that? Well, the Bible says that God created in six literal days. If you just read it, you have to add evolution in there to get it out of there. But if you don't add it in there, if you just read the Bible and take it literally, then this is what you'll find, that There's no evolution in the Bible. So in Genesis, we got to Genesis chapter 5, and we saw a genealogy, and that brought us from Adam. And Adam was created after, on which day of creation? Which day? The sixth day, right? There was each day of creation, God created, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then he made man in his own image, and it wasn't good. That was on day six. And then we have the story of God creating Eve and and beginning society in a perfect place. And then Genesis chapter five gives us the genealogy. And when you look at the genealogy from Adam to Noah, you get about 1700 years. I've said that before. You can do the math. You can read articles about it. Uh, But creation scientists, including um, uh, uh, Morris in the Genesis record, uh, these uh, geologists—they're are sci- they're Christians that are scientists, geologists, archaeologists. They're Christians, and they believe that as well. They believe the b- biblical record that that we live in a young Earth. That there's been about 1700 years from Noah to—I to, mean, from Adam to Noah. Sometimes I throw the wrong name out, but you—you're following me, right? And then—and then there's this period of time. Uh, 40 days and 40 nights and about a year on the boat, and they get off the boat, and about 100 years later, man's corrupted again, and we have this story of Babel. So you can see these time periods, if you look at them, you'll see that the earth is really not that old. I don't believe that the earth is old. That's my belief. You might have another one, that's okay. We can fellowship and love each other. You can have your opinion and your view. It's a view, but I base my view on just what the scripture says and I believe in the Bible and I love the Bible and I just, that's what I teach, what it says right here in the Bible. So these ancient people between Adam and Noah, do you remember that there were billions of them, number one, and number two, that they had had music and they had art, and they had metallurgy. Remember the different suns that, that came out and they did livestock, there was animal husbandry, there were all kinds of things going on. These weren't advanced people, not a knuckle-dragging people that lived in caves. They were advanced people, they had cities. Uh, so where are the remnants of the cities? Well, remember the flood, the earth broke up. There's, you know, we, we have millions of dead things all over the planet, buried in sedimentary layers a global flood, not not an isolated flood in Mesopotamia or where Israel or the Middle East is, but a global flood broke up. Again, all of these things are what the scripture teach, but it teaches that the antediluvian people were very advanced in their society, but they were all wiped out because they were corrupt. The scripture teaches, now we come to language and nations, the scripture teaches that God has always communicated with man, so God is the originator of language. God is the originator of it because God spoke to Adam. Remember Adam? Adam is naming animals, remember that? So God's talking, communicating to Adam in the form of Jesus, I believe, pre-incarnate Jesus. God the Father, he's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. Jesus takes a body. And so I believe it's Jesus. Some people have a different opinion. That's okay too, but there's communication and there's animals being named. Words are coming out. It's not Adam that, that creates those words, it's God. So God created communication, God created language. He created everything. Language didn't evolve over, slowly over periods of, of time, like sociologists theorize. Birds chirping, Wh- whales moaning. You've seen that movie. Um, uh, flipper. Remember Flipper? I grew up with Flipper in the 60s. And, and he's talking, he's talking to that little boy. And the boy. Uh, really? Were they really communicating, having a conversation, give and take? Do you know? Do you understand? Not really. It was just all fictional, right? Whales, and, and, and there is communication with chirping. You know, most of the time when something chirps, another animal runs. I mean, that's really, really what it is it's an alert or an alarm. Dogs barking. You have dogs barking at night? What are they barking at in your neighborhood? Do you have any dogs that bark in your neighborhood? Are they communicating? Like on the fictional you know, uh, uh, Dalmatian movie, it was the 101 Dalmatian movies, and the dogs start barking, and they communicate you know, all the way through town. Well, that's fiction, right? Animals don't communicate. People communicate. And sociologists say, well, it started with chirping, and it started with these different things, and it advanced slowly over time into what's Communication, well, how come animals don't talk? Dr. Doolittle is fictionary. You know, he's a fictional person. So, and here's, here's the point. God created communication. He created language. And we know that from Genesis, that communication was between man and God and, and then Adam and Eve and then his family. There was all this communication going on. But where did all the different languages come from? That's what this text answered? How come there are so many different people groups scattered all over the world? Where do the different dialects come from? That's, again, what Genesis 11 is all about, because in these just short verses here, these nine verses, we find proud man, a 100 years after they were delivered from judgment, from global genocide, There are eight people that get off the ark, and in 100 years, again, you have to remember, in 100 years, Noah lived 250 more years after the flood, right? And so these people are living long lives, and they're having lots of kids, and so the world's populating again. God made it really easy for them to populate, and he tells them, go out and populate again. And so in 100 years, you could have a lot of people again, but we find proud man in this story building an edifice, a ziggurat, a, a place of worship, and all the way to the stars, all the way to heaven, they're proud, and they're disobeying God because they're staying together. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the what? The earth, not this one location. God said, split the scene, jelly bean, get out there and propagate. That's what he said. Go and go and let's you know, have children and propagate the earth, the whole earth. But they stayed together, and we'll see that Nimrod comes in. We talked about Nimrod last time. We're going to talk about him again uh, tonight. So here in chapter uh, 11, verse 1, we find, and I've named this study God Always Wins, because we see men shaking their fists at God and trying to reach God, and, and no, God's sovereign. God always wins. Verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build our, ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the, the whole earth. What did God tell them to do in chapter 9, verse 1? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Scatter. And they're saying, we don't want to scatter. We want to stay together. We want to talk to one another. We want, we want to be together. We, we're, there's power in, in who we are. They don't want to obey God. This is their main sin here. And then uh, verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city, the tower which the sons of man had built. And the Lord said, indeed the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they began To do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, Trinity, go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So God in one sweeping motion here, in God's sovereignty and God's power, when they were building, uh, they're making bricks, they're putting them in a kiln, they're active, they're busy, they're going for, they're doing all this work on the on tower, and, and God comes down and kind of looks at them and, they scatter because he changes their language. Very interesting, and, and God's working there. Um, this answers the question, where did language come from? Did it come over a long period of time, slowly, as sociologists say? Or did it happen all at once, as the word of God says? So you have, in, when, as we go through the book of Genesis, you've got to take a side here. You're either going to listen to the word or you're going to interject something in. It's called isogesis. We exegete. I'm, I'm exegeting. I'm taking the truth and I'm expanding. I'm expositing it. Or you can read into it. You can read, well, I think we can put this in there and I think we can take that out of there. There's different ways to read the scripture. Don't do the isogesis. That's done by a lot of people, by the way. But it's so good to be able to just read it and accept it by faith. People have a problem with that. I have no problem with that. I love it. I, I, this answers my question: Where do the languages come from? The the sad truth about why God is developing language is because man is again rebelling. In just a short time, as I've said, in just a hundred years after the flood. And you say, well, how come? You, how do you get to the hundred years? Well. If you go back to chapter 10, verse 25, we see the descendants of Shem. And in verse 25, notice what it says. To Eber, these are the, the descendants of Shem. Shem is the good one. Shem, the, the, the um, Israelites, uh, the Jews come from Shem. Semit, the Semites come from Shem. But notice to Eber, Eber, Hebrew, Eber, Hebrew. The Hebrews come from This, Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his day the earth was, notice, divided. The division of languages and peoples is noted by this son of Shem, this offspring of Shem, Eber, and his son Peleg. They named him Peleg because that's when everything divided. So that's about a 100 years uh, after. And Peleg lived during the Tower of Babel. His name Refers to this division of languages here. So about a hundred years from Noah's uh, disembarkment from the ark, Noah and the seven with him, the eight people that that lived over the uh, lived beyond the judgment of the flood, and the population—it's one tribe, it's one family, it's one nation. Really, it's it's Noah and his three sons: Shem, Ham, Japheth. And so in a hundred years, they have. Children, and they all have children and they're just one and they, they don't stay there, they move. They move down to the plain, verse two says. They, they move to a plain, but they all move together. So it's one nation right now, uh, together, one family. And it's because of their disobedience that we'll see here in this text tonight that God judges them. So it's a judgment of God that they're separated. It's a judgment of God because of their disobedience Again, the flood was a judgment of God on humanity because God looks at the, the evil intention of their heart, and it was only evil continually, Genesis 6, verse 5. And now these people, 100 years after, they, they land there. Noah was a righteous man. What did he do? Remember what he did? He gets off the ark and he sins, right? And then his son, Ham, this sin perversion, it moves on through the family, Ham. And I'll show you that map in a minute. You've got a map. That's the one I had on the... Uh, on the uh, screen last week and we'll look at that map because it really shows how all the people were were sent, all the families by color. There's color coding there. So as long as you're not not, uh, colorblind, you'll understand that chart. That's the one I used last week. It's just a good chart. Kind of helps you understand where these people went. You see the, the offspring of Ham there. He's the bad one, they're everywhere. The bad guys everywhere, the bad family, they're all over the world. Isn't that interesting? Sin is all over the world. And then you have Japheth, and then you have Shem. Shem is basically in that area of of the Middle East, you know, Canaan, Israel, Moab, Assyria, that whole, they're just kind of in that general area. But the other uh, peoples have been spread out. Now, we read that in chapter 10. How do they get spread out? The answer is in chapter 11, verses one through nine, this tower of Babel. So they weren't separated in chapter 10, it just tells us where they go. Chapter 11 explains why they went there and how God got them to disperse through changing their language, or confounding their, their language. So God's judgment at Babel, it's a judgment here at Babel, was to separate man, and he scatters them all over the earth by changing their language. That's what these verses are about here. Chapter 10, we got the genealogy of Noah and his three sons, as I've said. And then chapter 10 ends. Look at verse 32 of chapter 10 real quick in your Bible. Go back to chapter 10, verse 32. These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations and their nations. And from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So then we get to chapter 11 verse one and that's this is why this is why and how they they went so chapter 10 again details Noah's and his sons and geographic and how they all moved apart so the map here you have a map you can look at yours but I'll put it up here I think I have the map and it just shows the world at that time and all the way over to Spain and um, on the upper left hand corner of my map here and then there's uh, Africa the top of Africa Ethiopia and who went there and the different tribes and how they migrated all over. So God gives, breaks up the languages into a lot of different languages and they can't talk to each other so they, they group together because they understand each other and then they move out to these other places. So God accomplishes what he originally wanted to and that was to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, chapter nine, verse one. He just does it in his divine way. You know, If you don't do it God's way, he'll get it done. I have, have you, has anybody learned that yet in their, their years of being a Christian? Have you learned that God is going to get his will done? That you cannot, the word thwart, you heard that word? It's a funky word, but I love it. You can't thwart the work of God, the sovereignty of God. You can't do it. You're just a little pib squeak grain of sand on earth, and God is out in the cosmos, and he sees many planets, and you're just one little speck of sand. You can't thwart the work of God, his sovereignty. But God knows you and he loves you. That's the miracle of the Bible. And that he begins this plan of redemption through this man Abraham. We're getting there. That's all this genealogy, genealogy. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 11, next week we're gonna, we got Abraham and off we go. Abraham and God's chosen people and how he works through them and dispenses his grace through them and, and then we go through the Messiah and then we have the New Testament and the, the time of grace that we're in right now and we're looking forward to, to the, in my opinion, the, the last things, eschatology is the rapture of the church. Some people believe it happens at the beginning. Some people believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation. Some people th- believe it happens at the end. I'm a pre-tribulation rapturist. I don't disguise it. I'm not going to try to confound you. P- some people, y- you can have whatever belief you have, and that's good. I got an email today. It was really good from a brother in the church that he's a, kind of a post-trib guy. And uh, so I, I wrote him back, and we've got this thing going, and we're, we love each other. We'll, nu- we'll give knuckles, not headbutts, but we'll give knuckles Sunday. But I'm gonna start a study, by the way, on the rapture this Sunday morning with well, a four-part series on the rapture, so I'm excited about that. But Abraham and God's plan of redemption coming, but we're getting there as we get the genealogy and this story here uh, about uh, the the Tower of Babel. But that map kind of shows you where all the sons went, Japheth. In chapter 10, verses 2 through 5, we looked at it last week. He kind of goes northeast, a little west, all the European nations. Ham, he went down kind of to Africa, Asia, India. And uh, then Shem settled northeast and Canaan. And uh, very interesting, they're the, the, the good guys, the godly generation, Shem. And the Semites come from Shem. Abraham comes from Shem, and we're working our way to to him right now, so these verses here, why was one family scattered all over the place, how did God confuse their one language into many, that's really the questions that are answered, now we have to, you have to remember where we went in chapter 10, and we looked at the man named Nimrod, Nimrod's a very important character here in our story tonight in this Tower of Babel because Nimrod, as you remember, he was, he was a mighty hunter. And when you read that section in the scriptures, you read mighty hunter, you go, well, may, gee, God liked him. God thought he was, but, but the inference there was he, uh, he was a mighty hunter of men. He was a very violent man. He subjugated men. He was like the Stalin, and Hitler, the, he was a bad dude and he, he kept people together and he started building cities and putting people in cities. And it's it's Nimrod who did that. He founded the city of Babel, which later becomes Babylon, and is synonymous with evil all the way through the book of Revelation. But this is the founder, Nimrod. He's the founder of Babel. He no doubt is the one that's saying, let's build this ziggurat, this monument, this however you want to, whatever you want to call it, this, uh, the tower itself. He's the one that's kind of over the the project here. He and his people, they, they want to build an empire, but they want to leave God out. They, they don't want to be accountable. They don't want to be judged. Sound familiar with people today? They don't want God. So they, they, they're in denial. They, he doesn't exist. You're, I believe in science. Boy, where has that gotten people? The people that used to believe in science and they thought that Christians were... Faith was, was just minimalized, and you guys are just brain dead, and you don't believe in science. And now they're all saying, you know, that you can have whatever gender you believe you are. Where's the science in that? It's insane. DNA tells you whether you're male or female. But you can, because of the relativistic society we live in, because of the, this new philosophy that we live in, you can just, however you feel, you can be. I, truth is my truth. Truth is your truth. You can add and subtract Truth. You can do whatever you want, it's whatever you feel. There's no facts, there's no truth. That's the biggest lie perpetrated on anyone by Satan. We have objective truth in the Bible and God gives us our origins. That's what we've been studying. That's why it's important for you to study the book of Genesis and understand it. So getting back here to Nimrod. Nimrod and this empire, they wanna build it without God. Look at verse four real quick. And they said, come, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower, notice, whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So what they're saying there is, is we're gonna make the world a better place. We're, come and be a part of our program, our building program. Come and settle in Babel. You know, flash, flash, settle in Babel. Babel's your place. That's really what they're saying here. But here's the problem. This is in total rebellion against God. God told them to replenish the earth, not one city or one area of the plain. They've all gone down to the area of the plain, this, this place that's ancient Mesopotamia, this place that, that is now um, Iraq, uh, Babylon. They're, they're in that location, in that big plain area with the, with the uh, rivers that run through there but they're in open rebellion against God because, again, here's the verse. I've already said it three times, but Genesis 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, here it is. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's God's command, but they're not filling the earth. They're filling a city in the plain. They're not obeying God. So let's build a city, verse 4. Verse 4. They wanted independence. They wanted to be their, their own people. They wanted to live on their own terms and by their own way. Doesn't that sound like you like you before you came to Christ? I want to do my own thing. I want to discover God on my own terms. God is a she. God is, is, a, is a Buddha. God is, a, is my own imagination of a God, and he never judges me. He finds me attractive and nice and good. These people, they make the God of their own imagination and they carve him out of stone and out of uh, wood. We see that throughout the history of the Bible, by the way. But you and I know and serve the living God, the living God that created everything, the living God that originated all of these things that we're studying here. They don't want to submit to God, so they're going to build this tower that separates them from everybody, from God. That's what they want to be separated from, and they're all together. They have one language. They're one family, one nation, So this story of Babel becomes the, you know, the quintessential or the epitome, the the story, really, man against God. They're shaking their fists at God. They're, they're, They're battling, they're warring against God. That's really what they're doing. They're standing against God. Reminds me of a service I did. I think I've shared this with you before. I think it was in 2000. We got a phone call from a a gal that went to Calvary Chapel down in the beach area. She's a lawyer and her client died. Her client lived out here uh, in Redlands and her client was the great-granddaughter, or great-great-granddaughter to the Winchester rifle. She was an heiress to that. And she lived a very good life. She was a rich gal. Her hairdresser went to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Um, I met her hairdresser at the funeral her children, who lived in San Francisco, called me the night before the funeral. I mean, I got a cold call. Hey, we are a Calvary pastor. We want you to do this service. I didn't really know who the gal was. Told me her name. It wasn't Winchester, but I found out later who she was. And uh, so I said, sure, I'll do it, you know. And so I show up at uh, Mountain View Cemetery. At the, uh, the, but before I showed up the night before, I remember Esther and I were in bed. I get a phone call. It's about 11 o'clock at night. Like, hello. You know, Sunday night, Hello how dare you bring your evangelical ideas to my mother's funeral? I can't believe you're even going to do this. And she was, this was this was the daughter of the deceased, very liberal, atheist. I can't believe you're going to do that. I said, excuse me, I was just asked to do it. I, I'd love to meet you tomorrow. We can talk tomorrow, and I'll, I'll be there at 10 o'clock at the service. And and then I told Esther, I said, oh, brother, what did I get myself into? So I, I go to the, the uh a service. I get, normally show up 20 minutes. I don't want to get too, too early, especially after that phone call. So I get there about 15, 20 minutes early, and 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 the uh, the lawyer comes up to me, and I hadn't met her, just talked to her on the phone, and she goes, yeah. I said, well, was this gal a Christian? Well, you know what? It's really interesting. Her hairdresser goes to Emmanuel. She shared the gospel with her over and over again. I met her hairdresser. Oh, I go to Emmanuel Baptist, and oh, yeah, yeah we connected, and And I'm a believer, and I've been sharing my faith. She would come from, she lived in Laguna Beach. She lived in Redlands, and then she moved to Laguna Beach like in the late 80s and grew old there, but she had her hairdresser in Redlands. Why do you women do that, by the way? You find a person to do your hair, and then you just won't go anywhere else, right? Is that Am I right? So she would have a a limousine pick her up and bring her like every two weeks to, to Redlands to get her hair done. And so this gal from Emmanuel witnessed to her, witnessed to her, witnessed to her, and told me that she finally came to Christ. So when I did the funeral, I'm going to share hey, this is a sister that died in Christ, and this is her coronation. This is a joyous occasion. But her two atheist children, a, a, a man and woman in their mid to late 30s, were like, arr, arr, looking at me. I, I, th- I mean, I knew who they were when I showed up at this funeral. But here's what they did they, they they bring me this poem and they said we want this read at our mom's funeral. I said, "Oh, okay, I'll read a poem." Then I opened the poem and guess what it was? Have you ever heard of the Invictus poem? I'm going to read some of it. Let me don't before you put that up. Don't put that, this is the last stanza that we're going to put up. But here's the Invictus uh, poem was written by William Ernest Henley. And, and they gave it to me to read. I'll tell you how I read it, but here's what it says. Listen to this. Talk about, talk about a person that's anti-God, and, and I'm my own person. Here it is. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And then notice this. This is the last there's four stanzas. Here's the last one. Oh, you didn't get it? There it is. Yeah, it shouldn't have come up like that, it's just one. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. You've probably heard that part, right? People that claim, I don't don't submit myself to God, I am my own captain, I am in control of my destiny (laughs) until they die and meet God, oops. And, and that's really what we see in these people. That's why I brought my little illustration in here. Atheists, like this Henley guy, and people that read these things, and they think they call the shots until, until they get a virus or they get cancer or they drive down the street in some freak accident, and their car turns over and they die. And then what? This woman, she died in faith. Her kids didn't know that. So they gave me this poem, and so I was like... Lord, what do I do with this? I don't want to read this. This is godless. This is horrible. And and the Holy Spirit, right at the, before I walked out, I walk out to say hi. I'm Pastor Lee, and the, the two kids are in front. Of me. And and then the hairdresser is like a little beaming Christian, and and the lawyer was like, Pastor Lee's going to say something about the Lord. And it was just beautiful. And her, her the lawyer's kids were there, and they ministered to this woman that was in her late eighties. But I I said I was asked to read a poem. And there's some real wisdom in this poem because this poem will help you understand that in this lifetime you have a choice to make. That you are really the master of your destiny. You have the opportunity to come to Christ and be saved for eternity or to reject him and go to hell. And then I read the poem. So, and that was the Holy Spirit, that wasn't me. I'm not that smart. but. But it was, that. This is, the, this is what's going on here in this. These people are shaking their fists at God and saying, we're gonna rule ourselves, we're done with you, God. A 100 years after Noah gets off the ark. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. The evil nature of man is what is depicted here. So, verse one tells us that there's one language and one dialect, now, I mean, this will go really quick from now on here, I promise you. Verse 1, look at verse 1. Now the whole earth had noticed one language, one speech. There are two different words here. The word language in the Hebrew is safa, and it means language. And the word speech there, dabah, it's a different word. It means vocabulary. So they had the same language, and they spoke it in the same vocabulary. There wasn't a, there wasn't any kind of twang or difference. They all spoke the same language, and they spoke it the same way, they all understood. Here's the illustration, though. In in America, English, I've been all over, I really have been, 26 countries now. And and a lot of those countries, they speak English, but they speak it with different accents. And even in America, you go back to Boston, to Boston. They don't say Boston, they say Boston. And you know what they say? You want a cup of coffee. What is a coffee, anyway? Or, pot the car. Okay, the scripture is telling us here that there's one language and one way to say it, but even English has all these different variants, right? And we see that over and over again. I've written this one. I thought it was funny. You probably won't think it's funny, but you go to Hong Kong to the zoo, and you see Ryan's, right? They're Ryan's. (laughs) I love that. I love that movie, you know, that 101 Dalmatian movie, and that guy comes out, and Ryan, Ryan, because he sees the dog. So here's the point, common language, common language but variations in, in speech for English. But in these people had one language and one way to speak it. That's, that's what's being told us here. One language, no barriers to communication. O- other language did not exist. One family, one language, one vocabulary. And The world that we live in, everybody's got a different language. It doesn't matter where you go. You don't have to go very far and you'll hear different languages. And they're beautiful. Different languages are are really beautiful, but there's differences in all those things. So the problem in this society, everyone was speaking the same language. They had a common language. And having a common language isn't evil and didn't bring them to evil communication saying the same thing very important to keep the family going to keep a city a nation it's common language very important to keep us kind of going the same direction um, and and here the problem really wasn't the the common language the problem was the evil heart of man wanting to use and work together against God using that one common language against God so it's Nimrod who builds the city, he was the builder, he built all these different cities, but he's the one that brings together everybody with his one common language and he's going to unite these people against God, rebellion against God when they're one common language. And that's why it says in verse 4, and they said, come let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose tops in heaven, let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. So they're 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 basically putting themselves under a different standard than God. They don't want to be under God. And Nimrod, back in chapter 10, verse four, he's a mighty hunter or a manhunter before the Lord. And again, he's the builder of Babel. He wants to rule the world. He's kind of like a Hitler, a Stalin. Just think, think about that for just a minute. This guy, is a, he's a, he's a manhunter, he's a violent man. He wants to control people just like Hitler did with propaganda, and he, Hitler was successful creating the Third Reich back in 39, and through just a couple of years and telling people the Jews are subhuman, the Jews shouldn't exist, the Jews are bad, the Jews are bad, they look just like everybody else in Germany for the most part, but the Jews are subhuman. He kept saying it, and, and then the people in Germany, they started believing it, so that Six million Jews died at the hands of the Germans in their own country. They shipped them out, you know, did all those horrible things to them, but through propaganda. So here's the problem. You have one man, Nimrod, he's gonna control everything with one language. God sees that, and God's not gonna allow that. And so God confounds the languages and blows these people all over the earth. So God's act in judgment, it's punitive, because they, but it's also grace, isn't it? It's gracious because these people would have, and they would have been involved in all kinds of atrocities like we've seen in Hitler and Stalin. In fact, Romans 3, this is kind of interesting. Look at this verse real quick, Romans 3, 15. This is, describes men, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the heart of man. That's what happens when one dictator gets in power. He just he starts killing and destroying. We see it all the time. Assad. We see it happens now. It's happening now. People are dying because one person there he's swift to shed blood. So these people at Babel, this time of Babel, they're, they're, Nimrod consolidates them together. And they're gonna build, they one people, one nation, they're gonna build this thing. And by the way, you know, you get to the book of Revelation. What do you see in the book of Revelation? One world order run by, really it's one man. There's, the, there's Satan that's behind it all, the, the evil trinity. Then you have the antichrist who is a man, a real uh, human, but he's powered by this Satan. And then you have the false prophet who elevates him, this, this false trinity. And, and it's, it's incredible to me that you see our world headed toward one world system, one world order, this new world order, even now. It's, it's happening all around us. That's why I think you need to be rapture ready, by the way. You need to have Christ, because he's coming soon. But this is where Nimrod is heading, everybody. Concentrating power in one place, one language. And he's going to build, he's going to build. Now notice verse 3, my point here, they built the tower to heaven. Then they said to one another, come and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they're not just making mud balls like they used to or putting rocks, stacking rocks up to make a house. This is technology. They've made bricks now. And these bricks could hold weight and pressure. And you go to New York and you see some of the old buildings that were built, you know, 150 years ago, and they're tall skyscrapers, and they're bricks, bricks stacked upon each other. These big, massive buildings. It's, a, it's insane. I, there's some buildings there that, they're gonna fall in an earthquake, you know, but but they're, they're, they're just bricks. And so they, they don't just do mud balls, they have bricks, that's what it says here. They, they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, verse four, and they said, come let us build ourselves city, a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So the question now becomes, why build a tower? What's the deal with the tower here? Was it so that they could build a tower and they could get, stand up way high in the plane? Remember, they're in the plane. Did they wanna get up high on the plane with their binoculars and just kinda of look at things? Did they need to get up there to watch for their enemies? No enemies, they're all one family, right? Why a tower? That's, that's the question here, why a tower? The tower is very interesting. Notice at the end of verse four it says, a tower whose top is in the heavens, or better rendered whose top connects to heaven. They were trying to connect their false gods in their imagination of God, and they're making a stairway. If you look at the pyramids, pyramids, it's like a stairway, reminds me of a song. I won't go there, but a stairway. And, and they're building this tower, and it's their way to, for their God to come down and give them information, and their God to go back to heaven. That's, that's what they're doing. They're, they're starting this false worship system with a God that they've made up themselves because they don't want to be accountable to God that, that did the global flood. They've heard that story. A God that holds people accountable, like their great their, their grandparents, you know, uh, Adam and Eve, they, they've heard that story. They don't want that god, so they make their own stairway to heaven. That's really what they're doing here, this tower. There's no other reason for it. So they want to be connected to their false god. And if you study ancient history in the Mesopotamian region, you can Google it if you want to do, Mesopotamia and ziggurats. Just put those words in Google, and you'll find. They find them all over the place. They're not maybe as massive as this one is described. But they used them as houses of worship. And down below, they'd, they'd build this big structure. And down below, there'd be places to go in and worship and do all their whatever they were doing in there. And then they had this structure that was the ziggurat. It was a worship center, a, a house of worship. That's what they're building here to their false, false gods, a ladder to heaven. In Revelation 17, 5, it's a verse that I have that all false religions are going to go back to the same place, Babylon, Babel, the city on the plain. Revelation 17, 5, and on her forehead was written the name Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So we read about Babylon throughout the Bible, and especially in the end times. Babylon is just a representation of a system that's corrupt and evil and false worship. And that's what they're doing. The Tower of Babel, this tower to the heavens is a false worship. Uh, it, It represents that. And God sees it. God sees the heart of man. So this is what God does. He responds here in verse five, God came down, but the Lord came down and he saw the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. And the Lord said, indeed the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now, nothing that they purpose will do will be withheld. And they're gonna just get worse and worse. Nimrod's gonna continue to kill them they're that's what god's saying here they're going to get worse and worse so come let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech now when you read that the first thought is this you read that and you say where's god been was he on vacation where was god is god not involved in what's happening when you read that but the lord came down to see like did he not see it before of course he did God is sovereign here. And I think really what this is indicating, is kind of a, it's kind of satire here. God is in heaven. He sees everything. And here's man. We're going to build this massive structure, and it's going to go all the way to the heavens. And God's out in the heavens, and he looks down, and he sees all these planets, and there's earth. There's earth way over there. And so God comes down, and it's, it's satire. It's Hebrew satire here. It's like, like God didn't know this. They think that God doesn't see it. They're, they're, they're gonna pull something off that God doesn't Have you ever flown, the first time on an airplane? You take off out of Ontario, LA. You've walked through LA, a big city. You've driven through LA, it's big. It's, you, how do you walk from one side? You get an airplane and you just go, whoosh, fly right over it. It looks really small, small teeny. So God looks down at man's great achievement and he sees, you know, he just sees this little teeny, what are they doing? He wasn't on vacation. He knew everything that was going. Again, man is busy building the structure. And from their view, it was big. But to God, he just looks at it and goes, oh, brother. I mean, God is sovereign. And I I love this illustration. And then the Lord came down to see the city, the tower which the Son of Man had built. Not the completion of the city that God's concerned about. It was the disobedience of man. Wasn't the tower? It was man's heart. It was the corrupt nature of man, and so God's going to judge them here, and that's what we see. I'm going to jump past my Daniel reference and go right to the next point, Landon. It's verse eight. God, so God scatters them. Here's the what God does. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because. There the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So the hinge pinned to the story is that God came down. That's verse five. It illustrates the truth that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God again in his grace allows man to make his own choice. But when God looks down and sees, "This is out of control right now, they're, they're so bad, right? I've got to intervene." And so He intervenes in this, this judgment. Now think about how that would have happened. Yesterday, you were working with a bunch of people on making bricks here at the brick factory, and there's a bunch of people employed there. And then God confounds the language overnight. So you go into work and say, hi," and somebody goes, ha. <laughs> What's up with that? You know? Get those bricks and make them. And somebody else, blah, 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 you know. And nobody can talk to each other. They can't even work anymore together. And then they hear somebody that says something they understand, so they migrate toward that person. And So throughout the day, maybe the week, maybe a month, they start migrating, and then we can't even work here. We can't trade, we can't buy and sell, we can't eat. So they, oh, we gotta get out of here. And chapter 10, all the sons, where did they go? In your little map, that's where they went. Chapter 11 tells us that God scattered them. Chapter 10 tells us where they went. And then the rest of this chapter, and next week we'll work up into Abraham's life. And from Abraham we get the plan that God's chosen people. God's, the story of Abraham and Sarah. Sarai, I should say. And and God using, calling Abram. And his plan of redemption that begins with this man and these people that it's just a beautiful, beautiful truth. So God's judgment on the people, Nimrod and the people at Babel, it's punitive and it's preventative. It's punitive, judgment sent them all over, but it prevents them from getting worse. It's gracious as well. We always see that in the judgment of God. There's always grace in God's judgment, I love that. So just by way of application, really quick here at the end of this story, I believe that every one of us builds a tower. There's some kind of tower in your life. We replace God with a tower, and that tower becomes big to us. What is your tower? What's the most important thing in your life? When you ser- is it serving the Lord? And you do it, whether it's worship or Sunday school or ushering, do you do it for yourself or you do it for the glory of God? What's your tower? Because that could be a tower. Leading worship, which I did for over 20 years, could be a tower for me. Look at me, look at how I play, look at how I sing. I'm better than, which is really not true. There's always somebody better. Chris Tomlin, Friday night, what an awesome thing at the Harvest Crusade. Towers in our lives, pride, will always get the better of us, just like it did these people, I'm better than God. They were fighting with God, they shook their fist at God. But listen, God always wins. How does he win? When we submit to his word, when we just take his word as truth and we obey. Let's be a people that obey. Let's be a people that follow and trust God's word. The story really has a lot of truth to help us understand that that we are lost without God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for the genealogy, the history. Thank you for these past 11 chapters, Lord, that really have taught us all about the origins and even tonight, the origins of language and nations. Thank you, Lord, that, that we have your truth and in a world that is Everything is subjective. Everything is based on how one feels. That We have objective truth in the Bible. Lord, we don't have to, to be taken down a path. We have your word. Lord, may we stand firmly in it. I pray that these people here tonight that are hearing, whether on the internet or just right here, our small group of, of committed believers studying your word, Lord, that you would just reveal your truth to them. Lord, bless them. Encourage them. Help them, Lord, to understand that you have a sovereign will and they can't do anything to change it. But what they can do is come alongside and be obedient to you and thereby bring glory to you and honor to you, which is really the highest purpose of man, is to love you and obey you and serve you forever. So we love you and we thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus we pray, amen.